Hello and welcome back to another great episode of My Mom Thinks You're Dumb. If you haven't subscribed to us on Apple Podcasts, please go there and subscribe. You'll get new episodes every Wednesday. If you haven't left a five-star review, go ahead and do that. Also, if you want to hear about a topic on this show, leave us a review. Tell us what you want to hear, and we may actually cover it. If you're following us on Spotify, we appreciate it. Check us out uh, also on Pandora. Share it with your friends. Let us know what you think. As always, if you want to be a sponsor, you can contact us at momthinksyourdumb at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy the show. tonight is Jeremiah George Chapman. He is the movie whisperer. He knows all and will tell us some of the secrets that will help me to make the perfect movie. Chapman, so glad you could be on So it's wonderful to be, to be back. It's just absolutely wonderful. Through uh, trial and error, I've figured out how to properly use a microphone and to have it turned on and connected to the computer. And hopefully this will be excellent uh, recording quality so that we can get it out to the listeners and give the people what they want. The more you do something, the more you become it, you know? That is true. My goal is to make the perfect movie. Is that possible? No, not at all. In fact, if you start out with that goal, you're almost certain to not achieve it. Um, you have to start out as with any artistic endeavor, uh, be it writing a book, be it painting a a great painting or whatever, with just doing the best you can. So, um, you know, if there was a way to make the perfect movie, then Hollywood would have nothing but hits. And, uh, as we all know, every year they pour millions and millions of dollars down the drain to movies that flop, just hoping that one of them will make enough money to justify all the millions that they flush down the toilet on horrible, horrible movies that have huge actors, that have amazing writers, that have great directors sometimes. But almost every director, almost every great director, even Steven Spielberg, makes bad movies sometimes. So there's absolutely no way to predict you're going to make a great movie. But there's some things you can do to kind of point yourself in the right direction. Okay. So what you're saying is... There is a formula that will guarantee that I could make the perfect movie. Nope. If I learn from what has worked and also learn from what doesn't work. Nope. Can't be done. All right. So I've got the perfect story to be made into a movie, but how do I take a story and turn it into what people in the movie business call a script. 
You said it's a 90 page. I think that's what we, we talked about on the podcast that I ruined with my microphone issues. 90 pages, hour and a half used to be the standard, but uh, it's gotten crazy out there. I mean, it's, as we all probably know, especially with the blockbusters and stuff, even the kids' movies are, it's like they have to be two hours or two and a half hours, some like two hours and 45 minutes. It's ridiculous. It makes no sense on any level. First of all, movies that long, unless it's Dances with Wolves or JFK, unless you have some incredible epic movie that justifies two and a half hours plus, three hours, you're almost certainly have a, some fat in there that could be cut. And also, it doesn't make financial sense because the theaters can't turn the movies around. You know, they can only show a certain amount if it's a two and a half hour, three hour movie. You know, I just watched, I'd never seen Wreck-It Ralph with a, a friend of mine and his kids. And that movie's an hour and 45 minutes long. And the sequel's two hours. They're both pretty good movies, but I absolutely you could cut 15, 20 minutes out of both those movies. Yeah, I don't, I don't, um, I don't want to sit and watch a movie for more than two hours. Or Schindler's List. I will if it's, yeah, if it's, if it's Schindler's List, if it's, if it's anything Kevin Costner does, I'm not sure how long Unforgiven was, but it could have been five hours and I would have been fine with it. That's perfect. I mean, it's, it's a good, it's a gripping. You're on the edge of your seat the whole time. I Unforgiven, I don't want to get um, off on a tangent, but is um, such an amazing movie in every way. And the interesting thing about that movie is, and you would know this as a someone versed in, in literature and all, but it really breaks the mold. I mean, breaks the rules in, in a few ways. The whole story with, you know, there's a whole 20 minute or so story in the beginning with English Bob uh, that really has almost nothing at all to do with the rest, with the main plot. That character, you could say it's character development for Gene Hackman's character and showing yeah. that he's kind of, I mean, yeah. it, it is that in a sense, but you rarely see a movie where you spend you have this side plot that, that opens the movie that that really never gets, you know, there's, you could cut that whole thing out of the movie and the movie would still be great. Oh, well, oh, no, let me take it back. I, well, it would take something big away from the movie, but uh, I'm just saying traditionally you would never have that kind of side plot open a movie and have that big of a side character. That's not really a main part of the story. And, and, I think it was lost on me the, the, you know, the first three or four times I probably saw it, certainly the first time I saw it, the more I've seen it, it really makes you appreciate it because English Bob is, he's mesmerizing to, to normal people. Normal people see him and they're like, oh my gosh, this guy, he's one of the baddest people to ever walk the planet. And then Gene Hackman's character immediately lets you know, like, no, he's not. I am. And then let's let's just stop for a second and say, uh, as he takes his gun away from him, you've been talking about the queen again on independence day. And that's when he (laughs) punches him off the porch with his own gun. starts kicking his face in. (laughs) That's a great one. Maybe the perfect movie has already been made. All right. So how hard, I mean, how often, you know, you hear about, you know, great books. How many times does that ever work out? Yeah. What if someone I think has already written the best short story I've ever heard? You're talking about a Hemingway story? How do you? No, of course not. 
but it is a contemporary of his and turning that into a script does does it take a great screenwriter i mean there's a reason why certain screenwriters keep getting hired because they do tend to churn out uh really good work if you have the money you can afford to hire a great screenwriter that that's great but i'm a firm believer i mean i've seen it through a couple of my friends that like anything you can learn to do it you know you know everybody does it different but i think some of the more interesting ways I've heard is uh, I forgot who does this, but there's one famous screenwriter that writes everything backwards. So they start at the end hmm. and then because the end really is the payoff to everything that helps them as they're writing backwards, make sure that everything is justifying and leading up to the end. And that there's no, you know, there's nothing more dissatisfying than going to a movie and there's a thread that's never addressed. Like, you know, there's a, there's some big issue that they, they bring up and then you just never see that resolved. Or Hitchcock was the one that said, you know, if you show a bomb in the first act, it better go off in the third act. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. And I think a lot of that, like we talked before about the director, not leaving, wanting to leave anything on the cutting room floor. So some storylines are kind of uh, not ever developed. Um, cause that extra footage is in there when it really could have been 10, right. 15 minutes. They got cut. That's called killing your babies, uh, which is those scenes that the, the director and the knows how much money and how much effort was put into this scene, maybe because of a big explosion or just because there was a great acting in it. But even though it may have a great element, it does not fit into the whole thing. And again, in, in the industry that is known as uh, killing your babies. <laughs> horrible term but um yeah i mean i do get the emotional not with, with childbirth but i do get there, there is an emotional attachment and a feeling like no it has to be in there it's you know we we like you said um we spent 10 hours to shoot that one um it is hard to cut something like that out i, I would imagine all right so it, i would i think you would agree maybe the story might be um, or the script might be one of the most important things. I was thinking, secondly, um, we grew up in a time, and I, I told my dad this, and he said, like, you're wrong, because I grew up with Muhammad Ali and Bill Russell and, you know, um, so on and so forth. But I felt like we grew up in a time where Michael Jordan was for sure the greatest basketball player to ever live. Mike Tyson was the most dominant boxer to ever live. Um, in tennis, I mean, even Pete Sampras was the most dominant. Um, in baseball, we had King Griffey Jr. It, it seemed like we, whatever era people grew up in, that was they had their their best, right? But well, well backups for that. All right, all right, we'll get back to whatever whatever meaningless point you're trying to make. But why didn't you just go to the triad of Michael Jordan, Bo Jackson, and Wayne Gretzky? Pro stars. It's all about helping kids. Which, by the way, was a giant, giant piece. I mean, I would watch it every day. If it were on today, I knew I would back watch then it, every it was bad. Day. But I felt as though I had to watch it. Yeah, you didn't care if it was bad. They could be just sitting in a room doing a yo-yo. I didn't care. It's freaking Wayne Gretzky, Bo Jackson, the greatest athlete of <laughs> ever, ever, and Michael Jordan. 
I'm sure they were all paid a lot of money for that. Was it and actually their voice? I don't remember it. Except, uh, no, probably not. Probably can't not. Bother. I can't imagine. Well, I mean, that. it is easy. I mean, they could probably go in. I mean, with how horrible those scripts are, it's not like they had to act or anything. They could probably go in and do the whole. It's probably only like one season, but they could probably do the whole season of like 13 episodes in two days in an audio studio. I have to look that one up. Getting back to my very important point, whatever whatever era a person grows up in, they believe that they had the, the greatest. But I think it's safe to say that when we were 10 or 11 years old, you walked out of the movie Terminator 2 and you knew that something completely different had just taken place. That that movies were no longer or you could say in, you know, I think ninety three, you watched Jurassic Park mm-hmm. for the first time and you're like, Oh my gosh. This is this is completely and I don't know yes. if anyone will ever do that again. What you're talking about, what I believe you're talking about is the convergence of cutting edge technology with just phenomenal filmmaking. Um, and I'm, I'm scared to say this out loud, but because I've never really thought about it, but I don't know which movie's better. I, I mean, I, I'm tempted just to say Jurassic Park because of Steven Spielberg, but I don't know, man. That's a close, that's a tight race there. They both hold up really well. It, the special effects of both of them hold up really well. Right. Both of them were so revolutionary that the man that melted into metal or the Tyrannosaurus Rex, I mean, both of them were so groundbreaking and so ahead of their time. I don't know if we'll ever, because today, I mean, you see something like Jurassic World and Jurassic World 2 and, you know, like it just almost kind of is like dime a dozen. But even like multiplicity with, uh, with Michael Keaton, that was crazy. I haven't thought about that in a long time. That's not really crazy, man. They, they. That's a, just a simple camera trick. I mean, I mean, I know they did some CG stuff in that movie. I'm sure, and they did some stuff they hadn't done before. But I mean, that's like the twin movie about the 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 girl that trying to get her divorced parents back together. Um, Disney movie. Parent yeah, I mean, you know, that's simple stuff like that. I mean, being able to have people, the same person, act against themselves. But they did do it. They did take it to another level. Actually, I'd love to see that movie. I haven't seen that movie in in a long time, probably twenty five years. Man, you've been working way too much during this pandemic, because I've been sitting around watching Unforgiven and Jurassic Park, Terminator Two, Multiplicity, just wiling away the hours, man. <laughs> I watch Unforgiven probably twice a year, just as that's just that has to happen. So, pandemic or not, yeah, yeah. You know, whether or not I'm in the hospital, you know, whether or not uh, everything else is wrong, I have to do that for my personal sanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I try to go a week once a year, uh, a week without eating meat, just, you know, to help help cleanse your, yourself. And I think uh, Unforgiven does that with, with my mind, that that was a world that was kind of a simpler time and a, a things when... What was right was put, what was wrong was put right. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was so good. Yeah. All right. So um, I'm thinking next, after we get a uh, mind blowing technology um, that 
has the audience walking out saying like, what, how did they, how did they even do that? I think the last they time that, yeah, yeah, I think the last time that happened was Avatar. And I hate that movie. I think it's a really bad movie, but I do have to respect the fact. Yeah, but I do. It's not a good movie. Yeah, but I do respect the technology. I mean, that was, that 3D technology, the way he did it and all was incredible. And you also have, also respect the fact that the man, James Cameron, again, also, of course, directed Terminator and Terminator 2, but he did Titanic in 98. And until Avatar came out in, what was that, 2008, 2009? Until that came out, Titanic was the number one grossing movie of all time. So he, and I think something may have passed it by now because it seems like every year now they pass something. But so for a full decade, he had the two highest grossing films of all time. And I think those two are still in the top five or so. And of course, you hear people yeah. say that, that people say that if it was adjusted for inflation, that Gone with the Wind would hold the title. I don't know if that's still true or not. But yeah, I think Avengers, uh, Avengers Endgame, yeah. another movie that I'll never make it through because just like Avatar, it's just too long. Once it gets over, and I don't know if it's my attention span because I'm good for two hours, but man, I just feel like. I'm wasting, wasting too much time. Well, uh, right, okay. Um, Endgame was good, actually, and I don't even like, I don't even like superhero movies. Uh, but Endgame was actually really good. Avatar is just a bad, bad movie. I mean, look, every every story has been told. We know that everything is a remake of something. I mean, you know, I don't know if there's something before the Pocahontas story, but the Pocahontas story, Dances with Wolves, is the Pocahontas story. And Avatar is Dances with Wolves. The difference being Dances with Wolves is won multiple Oscars, is considered a masterpiece, one of my top 10 favorite movies of all time. And then Avatar is just steaming pile of trash that just has great, you know, great CG and great 3D. I'm, I'm so glad that I saw Dances with Wolves because today my son was for the very first time watching Back to the Future 3. Mm-hmm. Very first time he's ever seen it. And uh, if you remember, when Marty goes back to 1885 and is uh, going at the theater towards those uh, Native Americans that are painted on the in the theater, uh-huh. he leaps back into 1885 and, and there are real Native Americans coming towards him. Yes. And he, he drives away from them, gets into the cave. And then the U.S. cavalry is like chasing after them. Mm-hmm. And my son, you know, said like, "Wait, are those like um, are those like army soldiers?" And I said, "Yeah, I mean they're U.S. cavalry." He said, "Are they chasing after the Native Americans?" And I said, "Yeah." And he said, uh, "Are they are they like trying to kill them?" And I had to press pause, and I was like, "I was like, yeah, son, I think I think maybe they are." And he said, but why? And I, I couldn't really explain it to him, you know, like I couldn't. Well, there's actually a very simple answer to explain to him, which is a lot of things in Back to the Future uh, are, you know, definitely politically incorrect at this point. But I give it all a pass because those movies, and I never understood this that much back in the time. As, and I've seen those movies so many times. The first one, I, pro- I probably have seen the first one two or 300 times in my life. No joke. The others I've probably seen yeah. 50 times each all the way through. I never got it as a kid. And I 
well, rewatched them all about two years ago for the first time in many years. They're cartoons, man. They're cartoons. They're, they're comedic cartoons. Everything is extremely exaggerated. Everything is way over the top. And they're really comedies. I mean, they do have yeah, but, drama and stuff, and it's a sci-fi, but they're comedies. They're supposed to be funny. Like, I never understood how funny they are until I got older. But what are you saying? Yeah, but I mean, the U.S. Cavalry did the U.S. Cavalry did chase down and, and kill Native Americans. Right. But I'm saying that, that it, it's a cartoon. It's, it's uh, again, it's just everything is way over the top. It's just, it's the same with the Libyans at the beginning. You know, it's, I mean, I don't think you could do that now. You know, they're just like, hey, uh, can we get, you know, wardrobe over here? Can you put some, uh, you know, something on their head, wrap their head up, you know, like a, you know, a towel, a towel rack? <laughs> Now let's use the red and white picnic table wrap um, <laughs> because I think that's that's culturally appropriate. <laughs> because that's what he's wearing. He's wearing a red and white checkered picnic table cloth on his head. Um, we watched Back to the Future one two nights ago, but I don't know. It was just it was hard for me to explain to an eight year old. Like he's like, but why are they trying to kill them? And I'm like that kind of stuff happened, you know, like, I mean, I know it's a cartoon and I know it's just comedy and stuff. All right. How, wait, wait, wait. He, he's, he's 10, 11. He's eight. Oh, okay. Well, I saw Dance with Wolves in the theater when I was 10. So I think when he's 10, you could show him that. Well, I guarantee it would have much less bad words than, uh, I didn't remember. I remember Back to the Future 1 exactly where people cussed. Back to the Future 2 and Back to the Future 3, it's like, why, why, why say that bad word there? Like, there's no point to saying it. I mean, like, well, two is just so many. Two is, uh, yeah, that. So I watched them all with my friends' kids, and and two, they had to fast forward a few parts. And that, there's actually two is the darkest of the trilogy, and and the, the weakest as well. But in the the part one, I mean, Biff's. No, I mean, yeah, like uh, it's uh, it was let's. All right, so the second most important thing is um, having technology that blows people away. <laughs> Third most important thing I would say is um, the actors, who you choose to act. Is that right? So not at all. Uh, real briefly, so they, they say there's three movies you make. There's a movie that you write, the movie you shoot, and the movie you edit. And all three of those have to be done really perfectly to have a good movie and at every point um, you can slip up and make it terrible. It actually is a, a myth that a star will make a movie. All you have to do is look at all the movies that famous actors have done that have flopped. I mean, name any top star and I can find multiple movies that have flopped with them. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise has never made a bad movie. Yeah, he uh, he's done a lot of really bad movies that have flopped. Um, That's not true. I think that Jack Reacher really flopped bad. That was supposed to be, a, I think, a trilogy, and um, there's only one, right? I think there's two. Are you sure? I know there's two. Well, I mean, I've seen two. They only made one of the Mission Impossible's because it was so horrible. I mean, I almost walked out of that movie. <laughs> Uh, 
I think Mission Impossible has done four, if not five, and all of them are cinematic masterpieces. You don't like Tom Cruise, do you? You don't think he's a very good actor? I think that Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise. I think that he peaked at Rain Man in 1988. And I think that with a few exceptions, he has done mostly trash since then. Mostly trash. There's, there's some exceptions. Tropic Thunder, Edge of Tomorrow. Um, there's a few. But uh, he's mostly done just, just trash. Trash, trash, trash. War of the Worlds? I consider that one of Steven Spielberg's worst movies. There are only a few movies I think that Steven Spielberg has done that are, that are truly bad. And I would put that in the category. The Last Samurai. Never saw it. Didn't want to see it. I don't. I don't need to see Tom Cruise trying to be Kevin Costner, um, in <laughs> in in old Japan or whatever. I would love to watch Kevin Costner cut his fingers off holding a katana blade. There's no way he could capture the essence of Japan that is. Tom Cruise, when he tells the Japanese soldier, he's like, fire, fire at me. And the Japanese soldier can't do it. He's like, you think they're ready? They're not ready. Oh, gosh. Spellbinding. (laughs) Uh, Born on the 4th of July. That was one year after... Rain Man, so you got me on that. Yeah, it is. The Firm? I hated that movie. I, I truly hated that movie. I don't think there's ever been a good John Grissom movie. Maybe A Time to Kill, maybe. Wait. Okay, you didn't like Pelican Brief? That is so horrible. In fact, I took, uh, you may have been part of it, I took a group of friends to see that in the theater, and I, I never, I never heard the end of it, man. I was part of it. I fell asleep. It was so bad. Wait, A Time to Kill is an awesome movie. It's cheesy. Over, it's kill. cheesy. It's over the top. Ooh. But it's got some good, you know, scenes. I mean, you know, obviously the, you know, hell yes, I killed them. I hope they burn in hell. <laughs> My favorite one is you set him free. You set him free. When, you know, the, the guard that, that uh, yeah. Samuel L. Jackson's character had shot. Yeah. Oh, that's so I wish um, I could remember that actor. Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder is 1990. I never saw it. Uh, it was, refer- it was referred to as uh, Top Gun on Wheels, I believe. I think that may have actually been like a slogan that, w- that was with the movie. Was Bobby Duvall in that? Was he like the the the, the pit mask, the coach, or what? What is the what is the NASCAR's? Is that the team leader? He was the uh, the crew chief. Yeah. So I would go see it just for him, but I, I ain't gonna go see it for no Tom Cruise. All right, Tom um, Cruise. <laughs> Jerry Maguire. That was '96. Yeah, that's a good movie. You had me at hello. Yeah. And I think we'll all agree that Top Gun Maverick is going to be maybe the best movie that has ever been made. I hope so. Oh, well, I don't hope that. I know it's not going to be that, but 
I hope it's good. I mean, I, I, I don't wish ill will towards Tom Cruise. I just think that, uh, you know what, here it is, man. I think that he actually is a good actor and could have been a great actor. And for some reason, with with rare exceptions, he has just channeled all his energy, which is immense. He, I will say that he has extreme focus and, and endless, boundless energy. And he also almost doesn't age. But why why hasn't he at least every now and then picked some you know some some meaty roles such as rain man why did he stop then like why didn't he keep doing just good dramas and you know okay and i know you're going to say this so i'll just go ahead and say it. a few good men yes of course that was 93 i believe but still that was 27 years ago all right are you saying the interview with the vampires a comedy when was that? Ninety four. Look, I, Chapman. I'm not here on like I don't know his. He, it, he made the movie. He made it twenty six years ago, and then he sold out. Yeah. What do you mean sold out? I mean, like action movies are action stars are paid well. Yeah, but just you can balance it. You don't have to just do that. He did Eyes Wide Shut. He did Vanilla Sky. Eyes Wide Shut 99, I am secure enough to say that I still don't understand that movie. I've had people try to explain it to me, but... Um, you tell me another person that can do 10 years of Oscar-worthy drama and then for the next 20 years do... I mean, first 10 years do comedies, next 10 years do amazing dramas in the next 20 years be an action movie star. It's amazing. And he still looks 25. He's talented. Okay. He's talented. I, I, uh, he seems as though he would be a friendly, a friendly gentleman to hang out with. And I give him a pass for life just for rain man. So I just, I just wish he would just step it up a little bit. So if if you're choosing the right director, how do you know, like, how much flight training did Val Kilmer and, and Tom Cruise, I'm, I'm thinking it had to be at least, like, you, you've said before that a 90-minute movie may take six weeks or eight weeks, but to get into the, to be able to fly the, you know, the F-16s or whatever the, that Val Kilmer and Tom Cruise were flying, don't they have to spend like six months in like pilot training school? Because I know Tony Scott shot a lot of stuff where Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer are actually flying F-16s. Um, so I have, so, but, that's so, like another- so uh, I haven't seen the movie really, I think since 1985 or 86 VHS, like the year after it came out, but I've seen a few scenes and I believe the only time they ever touched or stepped foot into an F-16 are the shots where they, you know, are closing the hood of it or when they actually literally are stepping in or stepping out. Everything else was done on a green screen. I don't even think they filmed anything with them in the back, whatever you call the, like the gunner seat or whatever. So yeah, yes, they, they never left the ground. Uh, they, again, were only allowed to step into the aircraft pull down the whatever the bubble and then 
step out of it, pull the bubble up and wave or do a little, you know, a little salute into the sunset as they hold their fake helmet underneath their, uh, their arm. So you're saying when Val Kilmer and, and Tom Cruise are landing, I think it was F-14s at the time because it was mid-80s. When they're landing the F-14 themselves onto an aircraft carrier. Right. So that, obvi- that obviously was a wide shot of a trained, probably Air Force, ex-Air Force pilot landing it there. A wide shot. It's movie magic, Bo. This is how they do it. A wide shot. And then they pop into a medium of, again, <laughs> Tom Cruise sitting still on the plane that he just got into, uh, and then he just gets out of it. It's amazing what you can do with editing. So you're saying they didn't actually pilot F-14s? No. Well, that's stupid. Excuse me, miss. Hey, hey, hey. Don't worry, I'll take care of this. You never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your lips. There's no tenderness like before in your fingertips. You're trying hard not to show it, baby. But baby, believe me, I know it. You've lost that love and feeling. Oh, that love and feeling. You've lost that love and feeling. Now it's gone, gone. 